the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Greetings. Thanks for coming along for the Tuesday edition. It's a hot one out there, Kath. Is it not? Man. Hot, hot, hot. And you saw the forecast for Friday, Saturday. (laughs) People? It's going to be, what, mid-90s? But don't you worry, because I currently have the space heater going here in the Word FM studios. Yeah, we're good. Turn up the heat. I like it, because if I didn't have the space heater going, it'd be, what, like 94 outside and 54 in here. Exactly. Why it has to be that way, I don't know. Because we're sexist. I have one in the control room as well. Very nice. Frigid. We're cold, yeah. Mm -hmm. See, and then we go out of here, and it's just, we've got a problem. You know, we keep talking about climate change. We keep talking about taking care of the environment. How about turning down the air conditioning? <laughs> How about People, yeah. back up the bus. That's a lot of energy being wasted. It's a lot of energy going being in reverse. wasted. Yeah. Okay. So it's a big day today, John. It's a big day for it's me. It's the 50th. An- well, it's a big day for everybody. Yeah. It's the 50th anniversary of the launch of Apollo 11. And uh, I know it's a particularly big thing for you because you're a space geek. <laughs> I can't believe how geeked out I am about this. I know. This. It's awesome. It's I've been, great. I've been waiting. I actually bought two t-shirts. <laughs> I have two. It's like the Steelers in the Super Bowl for me. I have me. two lunar module t-shirts that I bought like months ago. And I wore one last week. I'm going to wear one you know, later on this weekend. But you're not going to wear one today. No, I can't. You can't. It's not dress code. Oh, right. Because it doesn't have collar. Right. But I'd like to. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. So, okay. So, go back to 50 years ago today. Do, yeah. you, do you remember... The the day of the launch. I do remember the day of the launch, yeah. Do you really? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, um, I, it was not a weekend day. I do know that. And I remember being in school and thinking, I can't believe I'm going to miss this. And around me, people were excited. But, you know, of course, there were three networks, and it was all shown on the network, and there was no videotape. But I did miss the liftoff. Hmm. But super excited that today was the day. You know, and up to that point, you know, as a kid, and I think a lot of kids, so I was 12 when Apollo 11 went to the moon. And I remember sort of catching this bug because when Mercury first happened, you know, the, the first sort of um, push forward into space development, I was too young. But then Gemini came along is what, is what I remember like being eight years old and going, oh my gosh, they're going, you know, there's guys in space and, and catching that thing and being, and so I remember every launch after that and knowing the astronauts names looking at the spaceships knowing about you know rotations and and orbits and all this kind of science stuff that we were all taught as we went along on the ride and so this day you know was the sort of exclamation point short of the landing which happened four days later but this day was a really big day so i can't quite imagine that because i don't know if we've had anything like that since. No, there has been nothing. This is the truth. Man on the moon in the 20th century was the most important moment of the 20th century. I'm fully convinced of that. 500 years from now, when people look back, they'll remember things about the United States. But I think people in the future will definitely 
put this at the top of the list that we put the first person on a, a, on a sphere outside of our planet. Okay, so when you're um, you know, looking in the rearview mirror now and you see how important it was then, do you feel sad oh, for us? Yeah, you do. Heartbroken. It was a wasted opportunity because we were so technically far ahead of everyone, everyone. I mean, the Russians, the Russians put up a good front. But the Russians were relying essentially on old World War II um, hardware, mm. and they did not have the prowess, the wherewithal, the smarts, and the money to back it up. And in the end, really, the money is what drove it. So, yeah, I mean, it's a wasted opportunity. So now everyone's catching up, you know, the Chinese, the Indians, private enterprise. But we could have established a, play, a, you know, a long-term base on the moon and been way ahead of everybody. What happened? What happened? Um, it was largely, um, the, for the public, a mission fueled by imagination. And it was an easy thing to grab onto. Holy smokes. Astronauts looking like sci-fi, like a Buck Rogers kind of thing. And then once Apollo 11 happened, and then Apollo 12, to a lesser degree, the failure of Apollo 13, which wasn't a failure. And then 14, 15, 16, 17, by the time, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, people just got on with their lives. We just sort of, like anything, mm-hmm. right? What was once fantastic right. become becomes mundane. It. Right, right. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about this. And, of course, I've just been inundated. I've been reading, you know, being here, there's things that come my way. And so I've been reading about this nonstop. And some questions that I always had about the space program have been answered, you know, over the last couple of weeks as I've been reading. One of the things I was really fascinated about was Werner von Braun. And Werner von Braun, this is amazing. And only, you, know, you can't make this kind of stuff up. Werner von Braun worked for Adolf Hitler. Werner von Braun was part of the Nazi SS. And, you know, in retrospect, this would never have happened today that a, a, a Nazi would be brought to the United States and be essentially the heart of the space program. But at the end of World War II, Werner von Braun was smart enough, of course, to know that this was the, the Germans were about to lose. So they took apart all these gigantic V-2 rockets that they were raining down on England. They took all the spare parts and through the help of higher ups, they hid them in the mountains in Germany. And when the Americans came, they knew that the Americans were somewhere in the vicinity. They sent one of the guys down from the uh, Werner von Braun's rocket team, and he went down with a little stick and a white flag and said, I surrender. And the first guy that they, the first American serviceman they encountered, he was like, what, are you kidding me? And so then the word went out, we have captured the rocket men, and it went down the chain of command or up the chain of command. And before you know it, higher-ups in the United States military showed up, and they were like, oh, oh, this is important. So Werner von Braun, he negotiated with the United States government to take himself and 500 of his scientists really? and their families out of Nazi Germany at the end of World War II. And they were taken out to Tucson, Arizona where they spent a couple of years in the desert, and they were allowed to continue with their studies of rocketry. So they were able to kind of pick up where they left off? Yeah, funded by the United States government because the government knew that there was great value there, obviously. And then, en masse, those people were taken to Huntsville, Alabama, of all places, 
where they set up shop for the next several decades, and they essentially developed the Saturn V rocket. The Saturn V rocket to this day, five decades plus later, is still the largest rocket ever produced and still could be operational. The United States could put that rocket, you know, build a rocket and send it to the moon in a matter of less than a year. No doubt about that. But Werner von Braun was the heart what of What a that. story. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And while this was going on, the press would say, you know, they would sort of nudge him. What do you think about being a Nazi? And he would say, look, I, I don't know anything about this. But the fact of the matter is he did know. There were slaves. There were Jewish slaves working on the V-2 rocket production. There's film of Werner von Braun with these men. You know, you see those you know, at Auschwitz, those uniforms these poor men wore. But they were slaves who were built, working for the Nazis to try to win World War II. So essentially, though. Werner von Braun is still an American hero because without Werner von Braun, we never would have made it to the moon. Never. All right, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the 50th anniversary of the launch of Apollo 11. Um, I want to ask if it's the astronauts that you guys loved. Were they, you know, your, did you have your favorite one as like sports stars? We'll talk more about that when we come back on today's Ride Home. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars In other words, hold my hand In other words, baby, kiss me Fill my heart with song and let me sing. It's the 50th anniversary of the launch of Apollo 11. So we've got all things moon happening on today's edition of The Ride Home. And now, since John is the space geek here, and you've been a space geek since you were a kid, so for sure it's been every single day since I've met you. So I know this last month you've been just immersed in your your serious geekdom. Okay, so I have a couple questions for you. The first one that came to my head when I was thinking about today was... You know, you said you bought two T-shirts. Now, I buy T-shirts when Pittsburgh sports teams go to, like, the Cup, mm-hmm. right, or the Super Bowl or something right, like right, that. Right. So I wonder, did you guys – like, when you were kids, did you have favorite astronauts, like kids today love NBA players or hockey players or what? Yeah, my favorite astronaut died. Uh, <clears throat> I remember this as plain as day. Uh, it was 1966, and I was watching television when they broke in with a special report. And uh, the Apollo, they were not named that at the time, but essentially it was Apollo 1. Um, Gus Grissom was my favorite mm. astronaut. Gus Grissom, uh, Roger White, um, uh, uh, and uh, Ed Chaffee. And these guys were on the launch pad working on you know different things. They were 10 minutes in a you know. A, a, rehearsal countdown when in 100% oxygen that Apollo command module was sealed up from the inside there was a spark from faulty wiring and it ignited the inside of that capsule those three guys died a, a, a long hard gruesome death and essentially the space program stopped it ground to a halt but the tragedy of Apollo 1 was it forced NASA to go back. And, of course, 
NASA was meticulous about their work, but 100% oxygen in an environment like that was ripe for disaster. So it forced NASA to go back and reconfigure things, which I believe made them successful and able to go to the moon. Yeah, so Gus Grissom was my favorite astronaut. Okay. So when it came time then for Apollo 11, and you knew that these three guys were going, like, did you go, were you like stumbling out into your backyard at night and saying, oh my gosh, Neil Armstrong's going up there? I was just out of my mind. Seriously, I could not, I was just out of my mind with this. I read and thought and watched anything I could get my hands on. And I don't think I was alone. I think a lot of guys were like me. You were just obsessed by this. These these guys, uh, they, you know, ascended, no pun intended, any sports figure, any entertainment figure, these were the guys. Because, you know, later on, Tom Wolfe coined that phrase, the right stuff. stuff. These guys were the right stuff. These guys were test pilots who were putting their lives on the line. So, I mean, there was nothing that even came close to comparing to to these guys. Okay, so you were rooting for one guy. Yeah, rooting for one guy. But really what you're not rooting for, you weren't rooting for, once my guy was gone and the, the group, the Apollo astronauts were there, it wasn't so much rooting for one guy. It was rooting for the moon. That the moon was out there and you could, you know, anybody goes out there and looks at the moon and think, what is the moon all about? Look how beautiful it is. And it's mm-hmm. so far away. And people have thought about it and talked about it, written about it, a poetry and literature and all this stuff. And then, seriously, the rocket, Apollo 11, lifts off and men are, <laughs> they are actually going to go and stand on the moon. How fa- fascinating is that going to be? So you were rooting for the project yeah, as much as you were rooting for a dude. Yeah, more so. More so for the project. More so that – and in, in some ways, this is true. Even though I had nothing to do with this, most people had nothing to do with this. Now, at, at the peak, NASA hired 400,000 people to work on that project. Wow. 400,000 people. And, and in their wisdom, NASA, with all their contracts – Every state in the union was represented by the contract that, you know, everybody got a piece of the work across all 50 states. So essentially, the entire nation, everybody got a little chunk of money because of what was going on. Big chunks of money. Billions of dollars. So everybody had an investment. Right. So the idea that we were going to go to the moon, we, everybody was part of that. And it was a group effort. Yeah, without a doubt. That nobody, and there was an, a sense of national pride about this as well. It was dangerous. It was daring. It was the most incredibly astounding thing. Okay, so that's another thing that we don't have now is that same type of national pride or national focus. Yeah, I think both of those things. Look, I mean, people now, this drives me crazy. When When I hear people say America was never great. My head wants to explode because if you lived during that era, you saw how great people were. Look, we talked about this yesterday. When JFK set the goal to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade, by the end of the 1960s, and then when he was assassinated, that was the reason, I believe, essentially why we went to the moon, to honor JFK mm. and to show... That was like the heart of it for right. America? I think so. I don't think if JFK would have lived... Probably we wouldn't have made it there by the end of the decade. We may never have made it because it was super expensive and there was a lot of pressure and there was a lot of criticism about going to the moon. But because JFK died and people loved JFK, all that, that forced us to to go and make that commitment. 
All right. Talk about um, the last month. You know, you've been swimming in all of the media attention about Apollo 11. Um, so much stuff that has been available that maybe you didn't know about before. You just mentioned Margaret Hamilton. Oh, yeah. So Margaret Hamilton. Here's the deal. When JFK said, let's go to the moon, there was no plan. There was no nobody. Nobody had any. This is how this works. ABC. They had to make this up out of whole cloth as they went along. How do you even get to the moon? How did, what kind of rocket, what's that look like? What about a spacesuit? What about all that? I mean, every step of the way, so hundreds of thousands of people started to work on this project, one small step at a time. A young woman by the name of Margaret Hamilton, she was 23 years old and just out of MIT. She, pretty much alone, by hand, wrote the code Everyone's big into coding right now. She wrote the code that pushed America into the moon. Okay, so I've seen that photograph. I've seen the photograph of her standing there with her. She's diminutive. With, she's with, about 5'3". Right, and she's like 90 pounds, right. right? And I see her next to that stack of papers. But I, first of all, did not realize that she was 23 years old. Yeah. And I didn't realize she did it alone. Right. Alone. Pretty much. I mean, there was a team around her, but she was the head person. She put that together. And she did that by hand, I guess. Yeah. MIT was really essential in this, that NASA had the wherewithal. That, you know, there were so many key figures, people's names that are forgotten you know, to the general public. Or never known. Pretty much known now. I mean, really, Apollo and Gemini and Mercury, that's been really well documented. But you have to be a super geek to go into this stuff. There are so many men and women who had such smarts and were able to figure this out one step at a time. And, of course, Margaret Hamilton, because she was so young and so bright and the dichotomy of a woman, especially, right. a woman at the head of this thing, where there were all these men, you know, mad men, 1960s kind of thing, with the skinny ties and cigarettes and short sleeve white shirts, and there's Margaret Hamilton. But there's a lot of women who were part of this. We talked about this yesterday, about the coding that was done, the yeah. exit, 586,000 strands of X's or ones, ones or zeros. That was done by hand. And once the computer was set, you couldn't make changes. So three months before they, la- they launched, all that had to be done and put together. It was all locked in at that point. And you point. couldn't make any changes. It was what it was. There were so many wonderful things. You know, how about... Um, LBJ. LBJ had a major part in the in, in the space program really? because, you know, because JFK was killed. LBJ was a Texan. He made a point of putting mission control in oh, Texas. But still in there. Houston, in Houston, right. Houston. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, LBJ said, I'm not going to run for a second term. So Nixon just walks in and he does that, you know, phone call to the astronauts on the moon. Well, Nixon's speechwriters, William Sapphire, said to Nixon and to NASA, hey, you better make some contingency plans because the astronauts, at best, gave themselves a 50-50 chance that they would survive this first push. Wow. So Nixon and William Sapphire put together a, a couple scenarios. The men have died on the way to the moon. That speech. Mm. Or the men have died on the moon. That speech. Or the men are alive, but they are stranded on the moon. Oh, my gosh. That speech. Oh. And those things were put in place ahead of time. And you know what? No one would insure the astronauts. So what the astronauts did, they started a letter writing campaign. 
and each astronaut sat down and wrote hundreds of handwritten notes and their own handwriting on envelopes. And if if in case the astronauts died, they were going to sell these, auction off these things, right, for the highest bidder, and that would provide enough money for the families to be In case okay. they died. Yeah. That kind of crazy stuff. Wow. We're talking about the 50th anniversary of the launch of Apollo 11. Um, all right, so we just a couple minutes left, John. Uh, for those of us who either weren't alive or weren't aware or just aren't invested in the uh, in the lore of Apollo 11, um, why does it why is it why does it matter? I mean, I know that I look out at the moon and I think, okay, so we've been to the moon. But what about the whole project, the success of it, matters? It matters because someone had the guts to imagine something incredible, something that was, no pun intended, otherworldly. Someone had the guts to say, we're going to do this. We're going to marshal our best, our brightest, our resources, and we're going to do this. And you know, they did it. They made it work. I mean... No one does that. No country does that, especially as a peacetime project. Wars have been fought. Millions of people have been killed in the names of, you know, conquering. But this was about something different. This is about showing imagination and intellect and heart. The ultimate frontier mindset. It is. And America did it. That's why it matters to me. Because I believe that... We could still do this. We as a great nation could set our sights on wonderful lofty goals and drill down into that and make something that is unimaginable reality. I think that shows the nature of what it is, the human spirit, and how God has put so much genius in us. And all we've got to do is work together for something that is the good for the common good that we would all flourish and everyone's lifted. The boat rises in the water. That's why it matters. And I think people look back at that, you know, that phrase, you know, what's happened while they were going to the moon. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't fix City Hall. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't fix the potholes. Well, there's a lot of strength to that because most of life is it's ridiculous or it's unmanageable or it seems overwhelming. Or it's mundane. Right. That. When you put your mind to something and everybody leans their shoulder into something, men and women together, incredible things can happen. And that's what makes America great. No other country had the resources, the imagination, the chutzpah, the guts to do this, only America. And I still believe we're the only ones who can do great things like that. I still believe that, given the opportunity. Celebrating the 50th anniversary of the launch of Apollo 11, we've been talking to John. <laughs> you know, no, we didn't, we didn't seriously, talk about seriously. I, yeah, we didn't even talk about what about communion. Oh, 
Right. Okay. Yeah. So it was years ago. It was when we first started the show. Yeah. You, with your incredible knack of finding unbelievable guests, uh, we landed Buzz Aldrin on the show. Yeah, Buzz Aldrin joined us, and he told us a story. Oh, my gosh. First of all, he was a, he was, he's a nut. He's a nut. He's wild. Right. And, and we know now from reading since then that they they that buzz earned his position in that threesome on that trip but they did not want him to be the commander right although his father was uh, a higher up muckety muck in washington dc and he went around nasa and personally lobbied that buzz would be that guy buzz aldrin's mother her name her maiden name was marion moon i mean you can't make that up and the tragedy was whatever was going on she committed suicide about six months before Buzz Aldrin lifted oh. off. Yeah, so Marion Moon never got to see Buzz on the moon. Anyway, so Buzz Aldrin was uh, was a believer. Yeah. And he was Episcopalian. And Buzz Aldrin, this is interesting too, uh, they would give gifts. The The crew, the, the astronauts would give gifts to the liftoff crew. Buzz Aldrin, before he stepped in the capsule, gave Bibles out to the crew. Good news. Remember this? Remember that? Yes. Good news for modern man. He gave those out to the crew. Anyway, he lands on the moon, and on his left sleeve is a small sort of pocket. He opens that pocket up. Inside is a vial, a small vial of wine, and a small communion wafer. And once they were settled down and everything was good, He took an opportunity to give himself communion on the moon. The first food and and drink on the moon was the body and blood of Christ, which fabulous. Now we had Buzz back maybe two years years after that, and he was like, he was in in an odd space, right? And he was like, I don't know what that was all about. You know, he just kind of disavowed it, which was weird. I mean, you know, he just denied his his faith. But you can't make that up. I don't know if he denied his faith as much as he was. He was dismissive. He was in a, was in a deep mode of searching. Mm. Let's put it that way. Okay. okay, that's good. That's fair enough. Yeah, I think it was. But anyway, it was an, it was an honor, of course, yeah. to speak to Buzz Aldrin. Sure was. It's yeah. an amazing story. All right, so for people who are interested tonight in honoring the um, the launch and they wanted, you know, like, let's watch a movie about the moon. Right. Now, like, so Mike showed me today. That he's showing his son. How old's Doctor J, Mike? He's three. turning three this. He's Saturday. three. So they watched Apollo Eleven. Yeah. You know, videotape of Apollo Eleven launch this morning. Yeah. Any any kid is going to want to see that. You're was, just fascinated by it. He was. I was actually surprised how glued he was to the TV. Is that right? At his age. I mean, he was. I was like, Jonathan, what do you think about this? This is this is awesome. And he didn't even look at me. He was glued to the TV because it's incredible. It. I'm telling you, you should take, you should take him to go see that, that film Apollo, which is down at the Carnegie Science Center. That will blow your socks off. What an incredible movie! Yeah. There's no narration. There's no there's no audio. Just you know, just what was happening. It's not needed. Oh, okay, it's okay. Let's let's go back to 1902. That first sci-fi film, A Trip to the Moon. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a great little film. Um, it's a silent movie. Uh, uh, I'll pronounce the name wrong. George Millay, I think is yeah, his name. Yeah, I think that's probably right? right. And everyone's seen this where, you know, there's the moon looking all happy. Right. And all of a sudden, in his eye, there's this, you know, rocket ship in his eye. And the moon's kind of like wiggling around. That's cool, though, because they're trying to imagine what that would be like. And yeah. so to think that it actually came true <laughs> is kind of preposterous. It is. You know, it really is. Because it went from being like campy weird. Right. 
you know, to for like, you know, weird people who like live in a geek universe to it actually happening. Yeah. Okay. Apollo 13. Great film, right? Oh. I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't love that film? Oh my gosh! Again, there's that can-do spirit. Yeah, right? you know that that scene where they bring in, you know, all the, dump throw, it out. Yeah, throw it out on the table. Here's what we got. This Make is this all, work. Right. I love and they that did. so much. I mean, I've seen photographs of that actual, you know, the, how they repaired that thing. There's literally gaffers, tape, and bandages. It's all jammed in. There was some tubing. It looks like a mess, but it worked. But it worked. What about Moon, uh, 2009? Oh, yeah. I think that's uh, – is that Rockwell? Uh, that's Nathan Parker. Screenplay by Nathan Parker. Uh, Duncan Jones directed it. It's a great movie. Stanley uh, – yeah. A guy – it's essentially the story of, a, of an astronaut who's kind of like losing his mind. But it's really – Sam Rockwell. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. That's what it is. Uh, Fosse. Right. 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 He's terrific in it. Okay. What about First Man? Oh, I love First Man. Yeah. I mean, that's Neil Armstrong's story of him. and Not just about the moon, but that's like his personal game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there's another uh, Armstrong film out as well, narrated by Harrison Ford. It's got a short run, and that's worth seeing as well. That's a that's a dramatic film. Yeah, it's called. I think it's called Armstrong. Okay, I don't know that. And what about Apollo Eleven? We're- Excellent film. Please now, go see that. Now that's being shown, I believe, today at the Science Center. Yeah, of course it will. I bet you multiple times. Right. That's the place to see it. Oh, it's f- seriously when you see that that thing take off, thirty six stories high, all that propulsion taken off, all that fire. I mean, that it's it's majestic. Highly recommended. Go see that movie. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.